Let's go. Had Let's a chance, go. but you blew it, blew it, blew it. Man, I'm great. Move on, baby, who this, who this, who this. Girl, you're messing with the wrong one. Now I'm flexing cause I'm on one. I'm on one. Flex, 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 flexing on. Flex, 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 flexing on you. Hey, welcome to MBA University. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm Zach. And we are cousins. Going to be covering college basketball and professional basketball. Um, basically, just being the MBA, we'll touch on some European and overseas basketballs, draft approaches, um, but really going to break down um, conferences, teams, um, look at different things, um, college and pros. Um, and then give you a little bit of scientific studies um, to sort of back, back up our um, our analysis here. Um, anything you want to add there, Zach? Yeah, so Michael's the, the MBA guru, and uh, we're not tuning our own horn, but yeah, we are. I'm the college basketball guru, kind of. Kind of. Uh, so we're just going to – we just really like basketball. We think we know a decent amount of basketball. We've played basketball our whole lives. Um, so we're just going to kind of talk about it. Try to have some fun with it. Tell you what we see. Uh, also, ask for your ear input if you want to give any. And uh, we also want to give a quick shout out to a DJ that's that's helping us out. Yeah, um, the intro music you guys just heard um, from DJ Zenus. Um, check him out. He's been coming out with music. Um, he's on Spotify, um, SoundCloud, Instagram, Snapchat, everything. Um, check him out, DJ Zenus. Z-N-A-S, um, really good guy, um, check out his music, um, but yeah, we're gonna, gonna break down all of that, um, today we're gonna sort of cover the ACC Big Ten Challenge, um, get into four ACC teams, break them down for you. um, talk a little bit about the NBA, what's going on in the Western playoff, Western Conference and, and the playoff race there, I know it's early, but man, is that a deep conference, um, and then we're going to break down um, a couple teams in the NBA. Um, and like I said, get into that scientific study. Um, give you a little whole array of different information here. Um, yeah, let's get started with the ACC Big Ten Challenge. All right, so the ACC Big Ten Challenge, we're going to go through this pretty quickly. Um, throughout the year, we'll break down each one of these teams individually, um, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, today's Wednesday. The first game is Nebraska at Clemson. Also, today's Monday, but it's all good. Yep, today is Monday. <laughs> it's been a week. We're wishing it was Wednesday. We're still in that Thanksgiving mode, but it's yep. all good. Yep. Yeah, it's been a, t- been a tough weekend, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like Nebraska here um, playing at Clemson. They got good guard play. I um, think they can handle the Clemson defense. Um, but, yeah, I, I like Clemson. Um, I like Nebraska here. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, so we're we're not cheating. We promise currently the game's 31-31 at halftime. So we kind of – you know, we've seen, we've seen a little bit of it, but we, we also have our input. Um so Nebraska is really tough. They got 
Copeland, Watson, and Palmer. That's their three go-tos. Clemson's still pretty solid. We're going to talk about them a little bit later. But this is going to be a really close, really good game. I think Nebraska's just a little bit good enough with their guard play to edge out Clemson. Yeah, for sure. Now moving on to Minnesota at Boston College, a game that comes right up right after Nebraska-Clemson. Um, I like this matchup a lot. I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, I like Boston College at home. I think um, Kai's going to carry them through this game, hit the hit his shots, get to the spots he wants to get to, um, and give them the victory here. Yeah, Boston College really solid. Um, I would have liked them more if they kept Jerome Robinson if he stayed this year with Kai Bowman. But like you said, Kai's still awesome. I'm just going to give this slight edge to Minnesota because of Jordan Murphy and the solid inside game that Minnesota has. I think it will help them pull it out here uh, in a really close and close good game. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be a good game. Um, that moves us to tomorrow, which is Tuesday. I now have it in front of me. Um, <laughs> which brings us to the first game of the day. Um, well, one of them, um, Illinois at Notre Dame. What do you think? Yeah, so two under-the-radar teams, Notre Dame, uh, not as good as they were with a couple pieces missing from Colson and Matt Farrell. Illinois, really tough athletic defensive team. Uh, going to be a close, up-tempo, good, good game, but I'm going to give the edge to the home team, which is Notre Dame. Yeah, and um, usually I like the home team. Um, especially when it's in, as consistent as a team as Notre Dame. Um, but I do like Illinois here. I think they pull out a really close one. Um, I think it's going to be in the low 70s. Um, and I think Illinois gets pulls it out um, on the road. Um, which brings us to Virginia Tech at Penn State, which I think is going to be one of the best games of the, of the three-day challenge here. Yeah, two really solid teams. Penn State, tough team to beat at home. Um, but Virginia Tech, I think, is one is going to be all year long one of the teams that doesn't get a whole lot of press but is super, super solid. Um, give me Robinson all day long to carry uh, Virginia Tech over Penn State. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's a tough place to play, uh, but Virginia Tech's playing really, really well. Um, I think they're going to be very hard to beat, um, especially early in the season, um, playing great both sides of the ball. Um I like Virginia Tech here as well, um, which leads into the lone 7, 7.30 Eastern game, uh, Michigan State at Louisville. What do you think? Yeah, Michigan State, uh, obviously not as good as last year. Tough to replace Jaron Jackson Jr. and Miles Bridges, but still returning three of the five starters from that team. Uh, Xavier, or Xavier, yeah. Chris Mack and <laughs> Xavier's now not coach anymore. Um, with Louisville, they're – they're young and inexperienced, and they're just going to run into a buzzsaw on Michigan State. So I got Michigan State pulling that one out. Yeah, uh, Michigan State just uh, consistent as they come. Um, Louisville is a good team. We're going to break them down later. Um, they have a lot of good talent. Um, just just a new team, though. Um, we'll talk. We'll get into how new they are later. Um, but they're still filling each other out, um, and I think Michigan State with Tom Izzo. Um, they're tough to beat, so I, I'm going to pick my third straight away team. Um, so Michigan State wins <laughs> that one. <laughs> Getting me kind of nervous about my picks now. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I think I've picked one home team so far. Um, so we'll see how that That's goes. That's going to change here quickly. I can feel it. <laughs> yep. Um, so next game um, comes on at 9 um, Eastern. 
ESPN2, NC State at Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin, pretty much all we need to say with that is Ethan Happ, uh, super solid big guy. NC State, Kevin Keats is a great coach, but they do have uh, just a little bit of a talent gap there with Wisconsin. I like to call Wisconsin the Virginia of the Big Ten. Um, so I think they're going to show that against NC State and pull out a, a solid victory at home. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be close, but I think Wisconsin leads the whole game all the way through. Uh, Ethan Hepsch is too good, um, despite his lack of shooting. Um, I, I like Wisconsin here um, pretty easily. Pretty easily. Um, in a similar game, um, at the same time, 9 p.m. on ESPNU, Pitt at Iowa. Yeah, so it's it's on ESPNU, and that's kind of for a reason. <laughs> um, Pittsburgh is a young, inexperienced team with Jeff Capel. 6-0 is huge for them. Shout out Jeff Capel. That's awesome. But Iowa has beaten Oregon and UConn in a preseason tournament that no one thought they had any business winning any games in. Uh, at home, they're just better and tougher than Pittsburgh. Yeah, not much to add there. Iowa is just going to be better. I, Pitt's playing well, but uh, I think Iowa handles them pretty easily. Um, then the last game, the marquee game of the night, um, 9.30 on ESPN, you got Indiana at Duke. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I can't believe I've gone this long without saying it, but I'm a Duke fan, and you're, you're going to find that out a lot especially this year, because I'm pretty excited this year, believe it or not. I can't believe why. But uh, I'm also I, – I really am high on the Indiana bandwagon this year. Um, I've said it all year long. I thought they should be ranked. I thought they should have been ranked to start the year. Romeo Langford and John Morgan are a great duo. Um, they're going to cause a lot of problems. With that being said, Duke has three – four all-star freshmen. Wow, I can't believe I just said three almost. Um, and – Duke just has more, and they're at Cameron, bouncing back after a loss to, tough loss to Gonzaga. Uh, should be an awesome game, but I got Duke. Yeah, it's easy to forget about Cam Reddish after that Gonzaga game. <laughs> you know it wasn't Trey Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is going to be a great game. Um, a lot of things depend in this. I think Langford and Morgan sort of uh, essentially cancel out RJ and Zion. Um so it's going to come down to Trey Jones, Cam Riddish, um, see how they um, play together, how Trey handles the offense, and if Cam can hit shots um, and get his own shot. Um, I, I do think that's the case, and I do think Duke handles Indiana, uh, but I think it's close throughout. Yeah, it should be a, the game. a fun, off-tempo, uh, high-level basketball type of game. So definitely watch that one if you can. For sure. I think it's going to be um, 90s type of game. So be a fun one um but that brings us to wednesday finally um <laughs> we're here we finally made it um <laughs> the two early games we're going to cover a little bit um in a second um we're going to jump to 7 30 um on espn we have virginia at maryland which is one of the better games of the day yeah you'll see me sitting i don't know who's calling the game but i'll be like four or five rows behind whoever it is hopefully doris burke shout out doris um but yeah, Maryland, Maryland's a good young team. Uh, there's just a lot of inexperience there. They they have like I want to say five off the top of my head. I think they have five legit freshmen that are playing a ton of minutes. Um, that's a dangerous recipe against a Virginia team that just forces you to execute close to perfection in order to win a game. Um, Maryland's going to have nineteen thousand people in the arena. It's going to be loud. 
it's going to be a fun environment, but uh, I think they will have a lead late in the game. I just think Virginia is going to force them to be too perfect and going to sneak one out at the end, like a 63 or 58 type game. Yeah, it's going to be definitely, I feel it's going to be a close game. Um, it's going to be interesting because Virginia's strong point is their guards and DeAndre Hunter. Um, I think Maryland's strong point is Jalen Smith and Bruno Fernando, so they're, they're front court. Um, so it'll be interesting to see which strong point is stronger. Um, but I, I do think DeAndre Hunt, Hunter is the best player on the floor um, and um, sort of leads Virginia past Maryland at home. But, yeah, definitely going to be a close game, low-scoring game. Um, but Just to touch on that real quick, the pack line defense from Virginia, they they obviously contain the dribble really well, so nobody – can really get in to the paint off the bounce, which is why having Bruno and Jalen Smith on the block is going to be huge for Maryland because if they can play out of those post players, they have a legit chance to win the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why it's going to be fun to see how that balances out the guard play of Virginia and the post play of Maryland. Um, Feel free to take the day off and come uh, come visit if you'd like. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Um, so that brings us to Purdue at Florida State, which is another another good game. Yeah, um, both teams I'm um, pretty high on this year. Purdue with Carson Edwards, probably my favorite non-Duke player in college basketball. Um, and Virginia Tech, just long, athletic, solid basketball team that they always have. It's the, the same – when you think of Florida State, it's the same team every year, and they have another one of those teams. Um I just think that the length of Florida State is going to bother Purdue and specifically Carson Edwards a little bit more than they're used to, and Florida State's going to pull it out at home. Yeah, uh, not much more to add there. Um, Carson Edwards, uh, I believe, is going to be a lottery pick this year. Um, he's come had a huge jump from last year. I mean, he was very good last year, but this year, um, consistently shooting, I mean, hitting from 25, 28 feet, um, getting to the shots he wants. He's strong athlete, um, but I just think the length is too much. And if his shot's not, if his shot's not falling, um, it could get ugly for Purdue. Uh, but I think Carson Edwards carries them through this. Um, but Florida State is just going to be too much for them, um, which leads us to uh, probably one of the worst games of the of the challenge. Um, <laughs> No offense to these guys, it's just there's so many good teams in the ACC and Big Ten, so many good matchups that there is bound to be one of these. Georgia Tech at Northwestern. Um, what do you think? Yeah, so if you think this one's bad, just how, how do you think uh, Wake Forest feels that they got left out of the whole damn challenge? That's got to <laughs> sting real bad. But, uh, yeah, so Northwestern had a really odd year last year. A lot of people thought they'd be solid to repeat their performance from two years ago. Didn't happen. They were pretty pretty bad, actually. Um, I think they will bounce back this year. Georgia Tech lost Josh Kogi, which is a humongous loss for a team that pretty much was centered around him. Uh, I think Northwestern is significantly better than Georgia Tech. And at home, I got Northwestern. Yeah, at Northwestern. That's all I got. Um, which uh, brings us to, I, I think, the best matchup of the challenge um, North Carolina at Michigan 930 Eastern on ESPN. Um, I really like this game. What do you think? Yeah. So Michigan just obliterated Villanova at Villanova. And you can say all you want about a revenge game, 
but the way they beat them is way more than a revenge game. That's just flat out talent. Um, they they defend like crazy. They can shoot. They can score. They they run. They do everything that you need to do to win basketball games. Um, North Carolina is a lot of the same. Got Nas Little, who's an awesome freshman. Kobe White, awesome freshman, who we will eventually get into probably next week. Um, but this game is going to really be a lot of fun to watch. It's going to be high scoring, up tempo, good basketball. Um, I just think that Michigan at home, just just being at home, I think is good for a few points to get them the victory in an incredibly even matched matchup. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch. A lot of pro talent on the floor. Um, starting with Nas Little, um, I think he's the best, best pro prospect out there. Um, he's definitely worthy of a top five pick at this point. Uh, I think this could be his breakout game. Um, he's coming off the bench here with Roy Williams. Um, Roy Williams seems to really bring in freshmen slow, especially highly recruited ones. Um, and I, I think this is where he breaks out. Uh, Michigan's a great team. Charles Matthews is going to have fun uh, matching up with Nas Little, but I, I think Nas Little is 25 and 12 um, and, and carries North Carolina to a win there. Um, which brings us to our last two games. They're the first two on Wednesday. Um, Rutgers at Miami, um, Syracuse at Ohio State. The reason we're doing these last, um, we'll be breaking down Miami and Syracuse um, in more detail. So what do you got for Rutgers at Miami? Yeah, we'll just give you a picture real quick, then we'll go into the breakdown. So I have Miami over Rutgers, uh, we'll tell you why in a second, and Syracuse over Ohio State, both in kind of weird games. Like Miami-Rutgers is a real physical, uh, grinded-out kind of basketball game. Syracuse-Ohio State, same kind of way, like just got to force each other to make shots. Um, so not like, the most exciting basketball, if you like points scored, but still good games. Yeah, I think both teams are – um, Miami Syracuse, I, I also picked them. I think both those teams are sh- struggling shooting one more than the other, um, but I do think they pull both they pull it out. Um, so with that, uh, we'll take a short break here and then go right into the breakdown. All right, so to wrap up our ACC Big Ten Challenge picks. I have picked it 7-7, believe it or not, and Michael has picked it 8-6, Big Ten. Um, Obviously, you can see these games are going to be really good, really close, great matchups with two of the best conferences in college basketball. A lot of people can argue the Big 12. I'm not going to say no to that. I just say that Kansas has won it 14 years in a row, I believe. So a little different. Um, ACC is, as Michael noted, uh, is a little bit weaker the normal, uh, the middle of the pack, top of the pack is, is awesome, cream of the crop. And Big Ten last year had a down year, but this year they, they come back with a fury. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun to watch. If you like college basketball, even if you just like basketball, definitely tune in to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, specifically Tuesday and Wednesday for the great basketball games. Yeah, for sure. And one conference I want to sneak in there that I think has gotten significantly better over the last few years is the SEC. I think there's a yep. lot of a lot of talent it's very deep this year um but we'll get into that in the weeks to come uh, but right now we're going to break down um the four acc teams um we're going to look at miami louisville clemson and syracuse uh, yeah so how we're going to do this is we're just going to kind of give some advanced analytical perspectives tell you what it means 
tell you, kind of show you how we're thinking about the team. So maybe it'll help you think about them so that when March comes around and you go to fill out that bracket to win your office bracket pool or whatever it is, uh, you can have something to kind of rely on. And hopefully we can help you out a little bit. And we'll send you our addresses at that point so you can forward some money to us. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you my Venmo name. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll start with Miami. Um, first get into their schedule. Um, they're five and one. Um, they their one loss is their their most recent game against Seton Hall. Seton Hall is a hugely improved team um, in the Big East, um, and they lost by two at a neutral site. So um, they look solid so far. Um, a lot of home games. Uh, on the front part of their schedule, and they're going to end with a lot of away games, including Duke and Virginia Tech away as two of the last three games. Um, so that can be can be tough for them. Um, but when you look at them, they're efficient both offensively and defensively. Um, when you look at their per 100 possessions, they're scoring 111 points per 100 possessions. Um, that's impressive. They're 28th in the country um, offensively. And on the other side, defensively, they're only allowing 93 points per 100 possessions. So um, that ranks in 24th. Um, very good net rating there. Um, very good both sides of the ball there. Um, which is, it's interesting that they're so good defensively, seeing how small they are. Uh, I think it comes from a lot of their, of their three seniors, Anthony Lawrence, Zach Johnson, Ibuka, Izunda, um, those three guys really can get after defensively. Um, and offensively, they, they get carried by Chris Likes, um, one of the most exciting guards in the ACC, only 5'7", um, but really can get his shot when he wants to. Um, he's shooting 14 to 35, 40% from three at that high of a rate. Um, very impressive. Um, and he can get to the foul line. And he's taken 35 free throws already. Um, so a lot of um, offensive firepower through him. Um, stuff that they do well. Um, despite their, their size, they're, they're getting um, a lot of good steals. Um, ranking 51st in steal percentage. Um, and they're pretty balanced offensively. Um, have a very balanced scoring from 3, 2, and the free throw line. Um, so they can get points in all different different spots on the floor. Um, so I really like this team. Um, they shoot it well. Their effective field goal percentage or that um, adjusts for the three-pointer being more points. Um, they're at 50, 55%, um, which ranks them 53rd. Um, that's a good percentage, and I think that can carry them. So what do you think? Yeah, so I mean, just to kind of sum up what you said, uh, they play – pretty solid offense um, they play pretty solid defense and they force a decent amount of turnovers so really they're they're just the type of team you don't really want to play they're gonna just they're just gonna bother you all game long um with that being said they do go as chris likes goes so if chris likes has a bad game you're gonna beat miami chris likes has a good game good luck um and he might be five seven but he's gonna play like he's six five and you're gonna notice him uh with that being said the only problem I have with Miami is offensively, like I said, they go as Chris Likes goes, which means that also their surrounding cast, supporting cast, isn't. Uh, they don't really hunt their own shot. They kind of just play within the flow of the offense, which isn't a bad thing at all. 
But when you only have that one go-to guy, sometimes you can get into some problems offensively getting buckets. So I would just like to see them push the tempo a little bit more. And I think as the season goes on, you will see that. As Michael said, they do force a good amount of steals. So just getting those steals, getting out and running, and getting easy buckets is only going to help their team and help their offense. Um, but definitely a solid middle-of-the-pack ACC-type team that has all the ability and all the chances to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, something that – the reason they're so good defensively – I mean, they're, they're very good defensively, um, I think, is because they don't foul. Um, or they don't foul shooters. Um, so they're not – their free throw attempts per field goal attempt, I mean, they're not giving up for foul shots. Um, they rank 13th in that. Um, that's that's why they're good defensively. Um, they and you and I, you and I both know that in college basketball, there's a whistle every damn time somebody goes into the lane. Yeah. So to not foul shooters and not force other teams to make free throws is humongous in college basketball. Yeah, yeah, and they run people off the three point line. Um, I mean, they're they're only giving up twenty six percent of the points to threes, um, and they don't give up any foul shots. So. Um, that's important for, for Miami. Um, they have to continue that through the tournament. Um, but yeah, I, I like this team. Um, they have potential. It's just their schedule doesn't favor them towards the end of the year. Um, so we'll see how that ends up, but they're, they're certainly a team, um, that could make a run in the, the tournament. Another problem with that, um, is their, their lack of depth. Um, so they're essentially a sixth six man rotation, um, which is worrisome um, in college basketball. Um, and with a lack of size, that's only exacerbated by foul trouble. Which we know they don't foul much, but eventually they're going to get into a situation where they're in foul trouble and they have nobody over six five to play. Yeah, I mean Izundo six ten, and they got Sam Wonderburger Wonderberg. <laughs> I'm hungry. I like Whataburger Bay. <laughs> I got food on my mind. Um, but, but yeah, Dangak. Um, I mean, they got two guys 6'10 off the bench, um, but not, they're not playing that much. Um, Sam's playing a little bit more, but um, if someone gets in foul trouble, that's a really small bench. Um, and that's, that's worrisome, especially when you're playing two games in three days um, in the first weekend of the tournament. So um, something to look out for, for sure. Yeah, and just, just one more word that you're going to hear us say, honestly, with the next three teams that we're going to cover and probably the rest of the ACC is tough schedule. The ACC and even other conferences, college basketball is just tough in general. To go to another school and beat them on their home court is close to impossible for like half of these, uh, these teams. So college basketball is very tough as it is, and to not have a ton of talent and a ton of depth makes it that much harder, especially when you're going on the road into these tough environments and the ACC shows that a lot. Yeah. I mean, they have five out of the last eight games are on the road, including North, North Carolina, Duke and Virginia tech. Um, so. Which are three of the top four or five teams in the conference. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the mid, mid February to, to early March is when you want to be playing your best basketball. If you're playing that tough of schedule, it's going to be tough. Um, so definitely something to look out for there. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to Louisville. Um, they are a team that I think is going to keep getting better and better as the year goes on. Um, they're three and two right now. 
um, with their two losses to two really good teams, uh, Tennessee and Marquette. Um, played Tennessee really well um, in that um, tournament early on a neutral site. Played them, lost by 11, but was a close game um, within a couple of possessions all game. Uh, and then Marquette lost by three. Uh, Marquette has Marcus Howard and the Hauser brothers that are lights out shooting. So um, to play them that tight um, as a young, as a new team um, is really impressive. Um, they're similar to Miami. They're efficient offensively, ranking 40th, um, averaging 100 or having 110 points per 100 possessions. Um, defensively, a pretty average right now. Um, allow 99 points per 100 possessions, um, whereas the D1 average right now is 102. Um, so just slightly above average there. So that basically means that they're giving up one point, well, 0.99 points per possession. So say one point per possession, and they're scoring 1.1 points per possession, right. which is pretty much better than average because that's like as small of a difference as that seems, it's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, when you put that over 40 minutes, um, that that turns into a big victory. So um, they're they're efficient that way. Um, but their biggest strength right now um, is getting to the free throw line. Um, they, they get 31% of their points off free throws. That's the second highest in the country. Um, and 63% of their field goal attempts come from uh, per field goal attempt is the free throws. So they're really strong at getting to the line, um, get to the hoop, draw some fouls, um, and, and they knock them down at a high rate. Um, they're shooting 77% as a team, which ranks 27th in the country. Um, so that's really where their offense efficiency comes from. Um, defensively, they need to improve a little bit um, to, make a, to make a run. Um, Teams are shooting 51% effective field goal percentage, um, which is a little too high. Um, and they really just – they need to find an identity on defense. Do they want to play up tempo and get steals and push the ball um, because their tempo is not very high right now? Um, they're kind of average in their tempo. Um or do they want to sit back, play pack line, um, sort of a Virginia type? They're kind of just in the middle right now on their defensive strategy. So sort of pick an identity, go with it. I think that just comes with being a new team. Um, their guys, they're pretty deep. Actually, probably one of the deepest teams in the ACC as far as minutes go. Um, Jordan Noir, Okoye Agua, those are the top two guys as far as um, percentage of the possession that they're impacting the game. So if they're scoring a point, assisting, rebounding, something along those lines, um, they're doing at least 28% of that. Um, then the guy's got like BJ King, um, Stephen Anoke, and Malik Williams um, playing significant minutes, contributing quite a bit. Um, and then they go about 10 deep. Um, what do you think about Louisville? Yeah, so we keep saying they're young, but just to give you like a, a way to think about that. So their top two scorers are Jordan Nawara and Darius Perry. Uh, Nawara's averaging 18 a game and Perry's averaging 11. Both those guys play, are sophomores and they both played less than 15 minutes last year, like closer to 12 minutes. 
a game. And uh, their third leading scorer is Stephen Enoch from uh, UConn, a transfer. So they have like they they're playing like ten guys consistently more than eighteen minutes a night. Only one of those guys played more than fifteen minutes a game for them last year, and it was VJ King. So super young, still have plenty of talent. Great coaching, Chris Mack. Um, this is a type of team that's going to just continue to get better as the year goes on. They're shooting it a lot better than I was expecting. Uh, you usually just don't think of Louisville as a great shooting team. This year, they're shooting it pretty well. Um, and I think that they're just going to continue to get better and be a problem later on in the year. And next year, Chris Mack getting all that talent that he's so good at recruiting, pairing it with these young guys that are going to get experience this year. Uh, I think you see Louisville return back to what we think of Louisville as next year. Yeah, I, they have a ton of potential, a ton of um, good things going for them right now. Great coach. Um, and a lot of guys with the right attitude. Um, they were – the program itself was in a lot of hot water, still kind of is um, with the investigations. But these guys are all there for the right reasons um, and playing hard. So always love to see that. Um, just sort of got to come together defensively, and I think this is uh, a sneaky team. Um, definitely down down the line in the season, um, which brings us to Clemson, uh, a little less of a sneaky team. Um, right now, they're they're finishing up their game with Nebraska. They're five and one going into that. Um, their only loss coming to Creighton by six. Um, not a bad loss because it's neutral. Um, it was a neutral field or a neutral court, um, but. I do like Clemson a lot. They're very, very good defensively. Um, ranked 15th, um, giving up 92 points per 100 possessions. Um, that's tough to do. Um, that's a very good defensive team. Um, and right now, offensively, um, their lowest scoring total was 64 against Georgia, and that was, wasn't a close game. Um, so they're, they're doing well offensively. Um, they really shoot the ball well inside the paint or inside the three-point line. Um, they're shooting nearly 60% there. Um, so I mean, six out of 10 shots, they're going in inside the arc. Um, that that's important to be efficient offensively. Um, other than that, they struggle to shoot the ball. Um, and it's a common theme, I believe in the ACC, um, mm -hmm. that, team struggled to shoot the ball um, where they make up for it is their defense um, and they share the ball and they really score the ball well in two-point land um, one of Marquise Reed or Shelton Mitchell have to be better at shooting um, they're shooting 18 is 60 from three right now um, that has to improve at least one of them um, if they want to make it as far as they uh, as their potential um, but I really like the fact that they have three seniors um, leading this team. They got Marquise Reed, Sheldon Mitchell, and Elijah Thomas. Um, these guys are very good together. Um, they they play well, uh, what play well together, and then they have a couple sophomores come in, um, Amir Sims and Clyde Trapp. Um, these guys are. This is a good team. Um, just have to improve their three point shooting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is a. We're talking about a four seed last year that that dominated in the first round or five seed, sorry, 
dominated in the first round of their game. Uh, and it was a, it was a, I can't remember. Off top, I think they played New Mexico State, and it was like a trendy upset pick. And <laughs> Clemson responded by winning by like thirty. And then, uh, I mean, to begin with, nobody thought they were going to be that high of a seed in the NCAA tournament. And they return close to everybody. They don't return Gabe DeVoe, who was their best shooter, uh, which is why they're struggling so much, probably to shoot from three. And Dante Grantham, who was their best player when healthy, but didn't get to play a ton because of injuries. So to return Mar- uh, Marquise Reed, Sean Mitchell, and Elijah Thomas, that's a huge, really solid uh, top three guys that played a ton of minutes together last year. So this is an experienced team with plenty of talent. Um, they should be right back to where they were last year. Uh, but you nailed it. They just definitely have to figure out how to how to get somebody to make a jump shot. They do have David Scara, who's a solid pick and pop type guy. Um, but they they need a player that can create his own jump shot uh, and make more than just drive and attack layups like Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell are doing right now. Yeah, that's why I think it's really up to one of those two um, to pick up the shooting. Um, they have to be able to do it, um, especially later in the season. Um, I mean, they, they finish with North Carolina and Notre Dame and Syracuse. If they can't figure out how to shoot by then, um, it could be an ugly end to the season. Um, so if they if they can figure that out, um, they can rely on their defense um, and take them pretty far. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at Elite Eight, possibly Final Four type team here. Yeah, I've said plenty of times already that I think – especially in March, but college basketball as a whole comes down to who has better guards and it doesn't get a whole lot better in the ACC than Marquise Reed and Shelton Mitchell. So they're already off to a good start right there. And the way they defend, um, that sh- that defense travels. Everybody always says that and people know that. So just putting those two things together, Clemson's going to be in a lot of games and they're going to cause problems for a lot of teams in the top end of that ACC. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, then that brings us to the last team. Um, one of Zach's favorite teams, um, <laughs> Syracuse. So I'll let you start because you're such a big fan of them. Yeah, I want to start with that stat that they're like basically blasting if we could. So shooting wise, <laughs> Syracuse is uh, you want to say three forty yeah. something. So um, when it when it comes down to the the breakdown of their points. Um, they score 19.6% of their points from three-point land. That ranks them 345th. I have 353 teams in college basketball, Division One, And their three-point percentage, which is 23.3%, um, ranks them 346th. Um, so a very That's low, in case you couldn't figure that out by stats. Yeah, that's a very, very poor percentage um, to give – even more perspective, the average, the very middle team, um, is shooting 33.7% from three. Um, so 10 percentage points worse than the average team. So um, a sore spot for Syracuse for sure, um, which has left them three and two. Um, there, are two there are three wins um, come against teams that they should have, they should be. Uh, Eastern Washington, Moorhead State, and Colgate. They're two losses against teams that could have gone either way. So you got UConn and Oregon, um, two very good teams. Um, sort of got crushed by Oregon, losing by um, 15, and lost emotional battle to UConn. Um, so this team really, 
it, it just comes down to three-point shooting. They're always going to be a good defensive team. Um, they're actually better than Clemson. Right? They only give up 90 points, 91 points for 100 possessions. That's sixth in the country. So that zone it always gives people problems. Um, they're going to get a lot of steals at it because they're long. Um, they're athletic. They're quick. Um, but they really need to, to figure out a three-point um, three game because if they don't, um, that it's going to – going to be a short tournament for them. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not it's not fair to Syracuse to not mention that. They only had Frank Howard for the Colgate game, which was their last game. He's, he's their second best or second most important player, I would say, behind Ty's battle. So, to get him back, their team's definitely different now. Um, he's he's their facilitator. He's the one that Ty's battle, I don't have the stat off the top of my head, but he shoots something like 20% better <laughs> when Frank on the floor and thank god because right now his shooting percentage is low um but tyus is a legit nba wing guard if he uh just can shoot consistently he's big tough athletic uh frank howard's solid o'shea Brissett is another player that was awesome last year that i think is um not playing to his strengths this year and taking too many jump shots but i think he'll figure it out jalen carey is a solid solid player elijah hughes is a transfer from uh, East Carolina that has played pretty well for him so far. So they definitely have plenty of talent. They returned their entire starting five from last year um, and from a Sweet 16 team that shocked a lot of people. So they have talent, but I don't know, something seems off. Like last year, everybody said if Syracuse could just figure out how to shoot, they have the shooters, they just have to make the shots. But now we're in year two of that same problem. So, like, do we really have the shooters? Are we just missing shots? What's the problem? And you and I both know that the Dome is a tough place to shoot in. You shouldn't be playing basketball in a football stadium, in my opinion. That's why it's a football stadium. Um, so that can't help them. But it is their home court at the same time. So, like, at what point do you get used to that? They're all upperclassmen. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird situation. But Syracuse is going to cause problems. That zone, they're so long. Uh, it, it just makes you execute your offense. Like you, the, you, you don't just get easy shots against the zone unless you get a lob over the top. And with like seven two guys at, in the middle of that zone, it's pretty tough to do that. Um, so they force teams to make jump shots. And the ACC, as we talked about, Michael said, there's not a lot of teams to make jump shots this year. So Syracuse is going to win games. Um, I don't think they're going to have problems winning games, but. If they could ever figure that offense out, they have a legit shot to be like a Final Four good type team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they got two guys in the middle of that 2-3 zone, which is, I believe, the most important position in the 2-3 zone because they see everything and they're one talking. And Zadibe and Pascal Chukwa, I mean, these two guys um, talk about long and athletic. These guys are big, um, really demand that, that zone. Um but, like, we, we were going to say this all year long. Syracuse has to figure out how to shoot. Um, the ACC may struggle with teams shooting, but you got teams in the Big 12, the Big East, um, the SEC that can really knock down shots. And if they run into one of those teams in the tournament, um, they could be in trouble. Because when Syracuse gets down in that zone and people start hitting threes left and right, it, it, gets, um, it gets ugly for Syracuse quick. Right, and, I mean – Everybody knows that your offense and your defense go hand-to-hand. So if Syracuse is missing shots, and especially when they're missing threes and giving up long rebounds, 
the other team's getting out and running, and that zone has no effect on anything. So they, they got they got to get better shooting, which will lead to better defense. Like they gave up 80 points in their two losses. So once they figure out that combination, I think they'll be okay. But they definitely they definitely have to get better. Yeah, they have the potential to be a great team, but also the potential to be a, a first round exit. So. Um, something to keep an eye on is watching their shooting throughout the year, see how that improves. And if they're if they're becoming more consistent by March, they're, they're a team nobody wants to play. Um, but, yeah, so th- that's our, our four-team breakdown. Um, we're going to do that each week, going to go through different conferences, um, sort of do it that way. Um, if you guys want more analysis, we can do definitely do more. Um, but just wanted to give you a good foundation of each team. Yeah, we, we kind of have a setup where we're going to essentially get through, like, close to 50 teams by the time March Madness comes around. So we figure, like, that'll give pretty much every team that's going to make the tournament that's, like, a, a major school and then a couple of the bubble teams. And then probably the last day we'll be able to throw in some mid-majors, like the, the Buffaloes and Furmans of the world that are somehow ranked and undefeated and awesome. So <laughs> we'll have plenty of time for that, but... We kind of try to plan this out strategically, so we're going to go through each conference, like start with the teams that are at the lower tier that have a shot to make tournament and then work our way up. So we'll go through ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12, which will be pretty quick. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then so that'll be like half of what we do, and the other half will be the NBA stuff. Yep, and we're going to take a quick break and get get right into the NBA stuff. All right, so now for now for the NBA, um, we're going to cover an East Eastern Conference team and a Western Conference team each week. Finish every team by by April time, um, so we can get you guys ready for the playoffs. Um, we're going to start- no, we're not math majors. We're just good like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to start with Atlanta um, for the Eastern Conference and Sacramento Kings for the Western Conference. Um. We'll, we'll painfully go through the Atlanta Hawks right now. Shout out Kevin Herter. Yeah, Ke- Kevin's our guy. Um, been playing really well as of, as of late. Um, but we're just going to sort of go through more of a dialogue here, um, talk different scenarios, what prospects fit, fit better, um, where we see these teams. Um, with Sacramento, we'll look more into the playoffs. Can they sustain that? Atlanta will, will look more of a five-year plan. <laughs> um, Maybe 10, but we're, we're going to be optimistic. Yeah, we we'll, we'll try to be optimistic. So um, entering the season, Atlanta had a roster that um, Zach and I both saw as <laughs> being significantly at the bottom of the, of, of the of the NBA. And then they started 2-1, and one and we were like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Um, now 4-16. and 16, um Coming off a 10-game losing streak. Yeah, and it's not looking much better. Um, they really struggle offensively, um, getting any sort of rhythm. Um, starts with Trey. Um, Trey, Zach and I have talked about a lot. Um, sort of runs into problem with shot selection. Um, trying to shoot too much from, from long range. Um, I mean... What do you think about Trey's performance so far? 
so he he's had his flashes. Like, there's no denying he's had a few games that are like, wow, he can really play in the NBA. But then he's also had some games where it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like that that's not how you play. Um, I, I mean, we should kind of qualify this. At least you should by saying that Luka Doncic is one of your you nailed Luka Doncic. You always said he was going to be good, and you knew he was going to be really good. I don't think most people knew he was going to be this good so far, but just knowing that like Luca and Trey were traded is kind of heartbreaking for people that are rooting for the Hawks, at least right now. Um, but yeah, Trey, it's, it's all shot selection with Trey. He's a really good passer and he knows how to make plays. My problem with Trey is that when he's not making his jump shot, every other part of his game suffers because he kind of hangs his head about it. Um, and the NBA is hard enough as it is. You're playing against guys that are, the best in the world at what they do and you're already undersized and uh just not as athletic as these other guys so to to like let your game suffer because you're not making shots is going to be a killer um we know that when he gets good looks and and can like step into a rhythm jump shot he has a good enough jump shot to make that it's just a matter of getting that jump shot he doesn't have to try to do 20 times a game he doesn't have to score 40 points a night yes the hawks are bad everyone knew they were going to be bad this year it's not he's not trying to like get them to the playoffs this year he just has to grow and learn with these other two rookies and the young core that they have and try to put this three five-year plan together and figure it out together yeah yeah i think if he minimizes the amount of pull-up three-pointers um, he takes and really focuses on the catch and shoot, um, minimizes the number of dribbles before he shoots the ball. Um, it's going to make a huge difference. I mean, he's shooting 36% from three on catch and shoot. Um, it's not great. It's not bad. Um, it's pretty average. Um, but when you look at his pull-ups, um, he's shooting 18.5%. Um, and, and most of the pull-ups are coming from 28, 30 feet. It's not like he's pulling up at the, at the line. It's pulling up from well beyond three-point line. Yeah, it's he's shooting from a, a very, very long distance, and it's it's not effective. It's early in the shot clock, although he's shooting decent in early shot clock. Um, but he can get these shots. I mean, he's taking four pull-up threes a game and shooting 18.5%. Um, something's got to change there. Uh, if he turns more of those pull-ups into catch and shoot, his percentage is going to go up. I mean, shooting 23.5% through 20 games isn't isn't great. Um, but my biggest problem with him is him dribbling the air out of the ball and taking a shot. Um, anytime he shoots, anytime he dribbles the ball seven-plus times, he's shooting 9% from three. Um, anytime he dribbles three to six times, he's shooting 21%. Um, and, and, to, and he's doing that three times a game. So um, these are three possessions, basically turnovers. Um, I know a lot of coaches see shot selection um, as bad shot or bad shots as turnovers. Um, so, I mean, he's really, he's really got to work on that. Um, but like you said, he showed a lot of flashes. Um, he can get his guys involved. He feels, it looks like he feels more comfortable with John Collins out there now. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, it's nice having him back as a a guy who can stretch the floor, stretch the floor vertically. Um, just throw the ball up to him anywhere, and he's going to catch it and put it down. Um, so that's going to help out a lot of people on the team. Um, but two guys I'm kind of disappointed with um, on the Hawks, at least effort-wise. I know you're on a bad team, um, but you're playing for money. Um, you're playing for pride. It's, it's a sport you love. But um, Kent Bazemore and uh, Torian Prince, I think, play kind of when they want to. And it can be frustrating to watch, seeing guys jog back um, and not giving their all. Um, like I said, I know you're on a bad team, but they need to help these young guys develop. I know Torian's in his third year, but um, he's seen as a veteran on that team. So um, disappointed with those guys, um, but there's a lot of promise there with um, Trey, um, Kevin, Omari, John Collins. Um, yeah. What do you get? What else you got for them? I mean, so like Lloyd Pierce is a defensive coach and like their numbers defensively don't look awesome, but that's just, I think in large part, cause their offensive tempo is so uh, fast that they're just, they have a lot of defensive possessions they have to cover. Um, so I think that's a little bit inflated or deflated, I guess, but I, I think their offense struggles a ton um, because I, I don't think the ball moves really at all. You you hit on Trey with, with dribbling the ball a, a ton and, and uh, kind of running out the shot clock almost. But even when the, the ball moves, it, it's sticking on one side of the floor. And I think any basketball player will tell you, if the ball goes from one side of the court to the other, you're automatically going to get a better shot. If you make the defense move just to one side of the court, your shot is looking better already than if you just head on one side. So they're getting like these one pass just jacks from three. And honestly, they don't even have that many good three point shooters. Like there, there's a lot of average shooters on the team and they take a ton of threes. Like we're talking like rockets, number threes, which just does not fit at all with, with the type of team that they are. Um, so I just, they just need to figure out how to play together. And obviously that's not going to come immediately. They're a young team. Even summer league-wise, Kevin didn't play summer league. Amari's been hurt to start the season. Um, John Collins, this is, what, third third game back? He has barely played with the team. So they still have a long way to go to figure it out. And hopefully as the season goes along, they get more comfortable with each other. But um, they have a lot of offensive problems, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, they're taking 36 threes a game um, and making 11 of them. So it's not definitely, definitely not a strength of theirs. I mean, I, I consider I, – I obviously think Kevin's one of the best three-point shooters, and maybe Bazemore is a really good three-point shooter. I think Torian Prince is, is hot and cold. I think Trey's hot and cold. Um, Amari's even shooting more threes than I would ideally want him to. He's I just think I think they're just taking a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think Amari shoots a lot of bad a lot of threes. He, he want, like, if he goes a few possessions without getting the ball, I think he tries to – yeah, get one up. Um, I think that's exactly. I, I think they're like so worried about getting the ball. Like they're so numbers focused right now, and I understand that a lot of players on bad teams are like that. Because if you're not expecting to win, your other option is just to go get your points and rebounds and pat your stats. But like you're not winning in part because you're doing that. Yeah. So yeah. you gotta figure it out. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and two guys I do want to shout out for for the Hawks that I think are playing really well. Jeremy Lin, um, I think, has been one awesome. of the best players all year. Um, I think John Collins hasn't played enough to be that. Um, yeah. But Jeremy Lin has been the best, most consistent. Had a really slow start. Coming um, off a major injury, too. Like, that's impressive. He played one game last year. It's basically his first game in two years. Um, and now he's he's really playing well um, and really playing hard. Uh, he's one one guy that I see play hard all the time. Um, and the other guy is DeAndre Bembry. Um, yep. I think that's a name that not many people know. Um, coming out of St. Joseph's, I think he's, he's a very good playmaker, um, can get to the hoop relatively easily, um, gets a lot of his points around the rim, um, streaky shooter. Um, but is an excellent defender. Um, can guard a lot of different positions at being 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, and I like what I've seen from him so far. Um, he just has to get more consistent with his jumper. And um, if he's having a bad shooting day, just to keep that, that effort up. Um, yeah, he's he's a way better playmaker than people give him credit for. Too. I think he doesn't. Firstly, I don't think he plays enough. And second, I don't think he has the ball in his hands enough. But the old, if you need to know anything about DeAndre Bembry, um, find some highlight of their game last night against the Hornets and watch his defense on Kemba Walker to seal the deal in the game. I think I'm pretty sure the Hawks were down one in the situation, and he guarded Kemba for 24 seconds on the shot clock and forced a shot clock violation with Kemba doing everything he could to go by him, and he had nothing for him. So, I mean... How many people in this world you know that can keep Kemba Walker in front of him? Especially in this stretch with Kemba going on right now. I mean, he's playing <laughs> he's MVP. Kemba's coming off a 60 and 43 point night, and you're blocking him down like that. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bembry's probably one of the most underrated defenders in the league. Um, and he's really playing. I mean, it is his third season, but he's dealt with injuries the first two years. Um, and this is the first year that he's really felt healthy um, coming into this season. So um, I'm expecting big things from him this year um, and to continue to grow. Um, I guess one other thing to cover with the Hawks is just looking down the road. I think two guys that I don't, um, I've already mentioned, I don't think will be on the team um, or at least in the long-term plans. And that's Kenton, Torian Prince. Um I think Torian Prince has some value because he's a wing scorer. Uh, I think he's very, very similar to uh, TJ Warren, um, where he can go and score. Um, and, and that's that's pretty much his um, what to expect from him. Um, you'll get decent defensive effort. Um, he's solid defensively, um, decent playmaking, um, but he can go get a bucket for you. So I think there's some value there um, for teams looking for a wing scorer. Um, and then Kent uh, has been around the league a while, um, been on championship teams, playoff teams. So I think um, playoff team will look at him. The, the only problem with him is making 18 million a year. Um, mm -hmm. It's tough to trade that in this um, with some of the contracts out there. Um, but I think a team, especially in the Western Conference, um, how competitive that is, um, I think we'll, we'll pull the trigger on Kent for sure this year by the deadline.
Yeah, I think I think both those players are teams that like uh, like the team like the Rockets that is that's looking for a little bit of scoring, but also just the defensive help in their starting unit. Like I can see a team like that making the move for them. But the Rockets can't take on baseball's huge salary and. Also, I think the most important thing for the Hawks is to get assets in return, specifically draft picks. Um, and I don't know what they can get with those guys because, like, I don't really see the Hawks trading Torian Prince just to get rid of a contract. Maybe for Baysmore, I could definitely see that. But if you're trading Torian Prince, you you need like young something in return because um, they obviously have these three rookies they're trying to build around. I mean, they have the billboards up saying the future is now with these three kids, uh, Kevin, Trey, and Amari. So, like, that's definitely what they want for their future, but now you have to figure out a way to build around them. And yeah. besides John Collins, they don't really have anything else going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think something that would be interesting um, is to see maybe Torian Prince for uh, Markel Fultz type of deal. Um, Fult has really fallen out of favor. It's a really weird situation going on. Um, I'm seeing that his camp isn't agreeing with what Markel Fultz is actually saying. Um, the whole thing with the different doctors going to New York, seeing what's going on with the shoulder. Um, a lot of things falling out of favor there. Lost a lot of value with that. Um, so I could see. Um, some deal going around Torian Prince and Markel Fultz, um, which would be interesting to bring in another playmaker on Atlanta. That they desperately need. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, starts with Trey. Um, Kevin is an underrated playmaker. I think he's really good as a secondary ball handler, um, sort of getting a secondary action and side pick and roll where he can get his feet in the paint and make a play. Um, but as far as primary ball handles initiating the offense. Um, Fultz would really help that. Um, obviously, I don't haven't heard anything about this or haven't seen anything, but um, Sixers are looking for sort of a stretch four, which Torian Prince can certainly play, um, being 6'8", 6'9", um, played it in college at Baylor. So um, can certainly see that happening. Um, but let's move on to Sacramento. Um, a little brighter story than Atlanta. Seriously. Um, they're trying to make it dim, but they're not doing too well. <laughs> um, surprising start. Um, a lot of people have been surprised about the West, uh, specifically with the Clippers and the Grizzlies um, <laughs> and Dallas. But um, As the clear-cut one, two, and three seeds in the West, because why not? <laughs> but I, I really think um, Grizzlies just got healthy. Two years ago, they were a playoff team, great team. Um, and now they finally got back healthy um, and playing the way they can. Um, they're really embracing bully ball, having two bigs, really embracing that. Um, Grinding grit. Exactly. Um, so I think that's that's the reason they're up there. The Clippers, they sort of got rid of that, um, that toxic culture, I would say. Um, having a lot of expectations and a lot of personality on the team, um, get rid of all of them. No disrespect to those three guys, um, CP, Blake, and DeAndre, um, but they've compiled a team of effort, defense, 
and efficient scoring. Um, Tobias Harris, um, shout out to the City Rocks where he used to play <laughs> AAU. Uh, played against him once there. Shout out to Alpha Kevin too. Yeah, also played um, City Rocks, but um, yeah, I mean he's he's got to be the most underrated player playing for a max contract this year. Um, and Gallinari's healthy, playing well. Um, Gortat is just a guy there to set illegal screens and, and really get <laughs> offensive rebounds. He's, he's really just following DeAndre's footsteps besides the alley-oops. <laughs> yep. Um, and then one of the most impressive rookies, Shea, um, Gilgis Alexander. I've uh, been really impressed with him. He's learning behind um, probably the two best guards you'd want to learn the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball with um, Milos Tadosic and Patrick Beverly. I mean, an absolute pit ball on defense and a maestro with the ball. Um, so learning a lot from that, and that's where I think um, they've why they're playing so well. Uh, it should be illegal to have Shea with his length and arms and everything learn defense from Patrick Beverly because he's going to just dog people for the rest of his career. Yeah, if he can – pick up one or two things from Patrick Beverly, well, Shea's going to be very, very good for a very long time. Regardless of what he does on offense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. Um, but enough about that. Sacramento, that's the one surprising team for me. Um, I thought they were a year away. Um, it looks like it came a little bit early. De'Aaron Fox, talk to me about him. Yeah, I mean – a lot of people, for I still can't really figure it out. I know he didn't have a great jump shot, but De'Aaron Fox played Lonzo Ball on the biggest stage in college basketball and dominated the game. And still people said he wasn't that good. And I just don't understand that. But he came into the league, had a pretty solid rookie year, like was, was better than most people expected. But nobody thought that he was going to take this huge jump already in year two. His jump shot looks awesome. He's fast as hell. He's basically John Wall with like quickness, probably even faster. And now is developing this jump shot. He knows how to get other players involved. He's great defensively. Like he just checks all the boxes. And he's such an awesome piece for the Kings to build around. They're all young. They're all like just ready to win basketball games and turn the franchise around. And I can't really think of many people I'd rather start with than De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, I mean De'Aaron Fox was um, my number one point guard out of that draft. Um, he just, we don't like Lonzo Ball, just saying. <laughs> I respect Lonzo Ball. I think he's a, he's going to be a solid player for a long time. Um, he's in a tough situation in L.A. And I, I think if he gets out, he can shine. Um, his lack of aggression, I think, is going to hurt him throughout his career. Um, but defensively, he's made huge, huge leaps um, from his college days. Um and, and he's just obviously a great playmaker. But t- back to De'Aaron, um, guy's just so smart. He, his IQ is unreal. Um, you listen to listen to him on interviews. He's just intelligent. Really knows what's going on in basketball. Um, he started with he's, it starts with the defense end for him, um, and then he just gets in go. And he, like you said, he is insanely fast. He can get from one end to the other. Um, very fast, draws contact, gets to the line, gets people involved. Um, their run definitely starts here with him. Um, another guy that I think has been really consistent for them um, 
consistent presence is Willie Cauley Stein. Um, you don't hear much about him. Uh, people thought he was going to be a huge bust being a sixth overall pick. Um, but he's just been really, really solid and the perfect center for them because they want to get it and go. He's fast, beats everyone down the floor, and can finish above the rim. Um, those two guys, plus getting Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, who is just a knockdown shooter, um, great playmaker. Um, and then a little more foreign flavor, you have Nemjab Licha, <laughs> who had a really, really strong start. Um, guy was putting up ridiculous numbers the first few games. Um, but yeah, they got a lot of promising, promising pieces there. Um, and a lot of fun. And I'll let you talk a little bit about the Duke guys. Yeah, obviously they're good because they got two Duke guys now. I mean, why else would they be suddenly just making this jump? But, uh, no, they, seriously, they have – also, I just want to hit on Buddy Heald real quick, who's become significantly better this year than he was in years past. Um, kind of what what was thought of as just a shooter is now still obviously a really good shooter, but developing into more of a, a basketball player overall. Um, and he's been pretty helpful for them. And then they just stockpile bigs with Willie Cauley-Stein, Bielitsa, uh, Scal, who doesn't even really get to play, but is decent. Um, Marvin Bagley now, Harry Giles. Giles' his last two games is like averaging 12 minutes, but putting up freakishly good numbers. Bagley's starting to figure it out. I personally thought Wendell Carter was better than Marvin Bagley, just because I think Wendell's a better all-around basketball player. But Bagley is one of the quickest players I've ever seen get off the floor, on his, especially on his second jump. One of the best rebounders I've seen in college basketball, and just just a solid. He he will be a solid NBA player. Like he's a good piece to have. Um, I don't think he's the the game breaking number two pick that he was, but uh, I, the amount of young talent the Kings have is should be very worrisome to a lot of Western Conference teams for the next few years to come. And if they can somehow get another solid pick this year. Uh, that that's like you're building like the Boston Celtics kind of where they just are stockpiling good draft picks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they are exciting. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Marvin Bagley. Um, I was with you with liking Wendell um, slightly more than Marvin, just like you said, overall um, Bagley. Bagley's averaging over a block a game, by the way, which no way I saw that one coming. He's just quick off his feet. He's more of a NBA defensive type of player um, yep. where you have to get over quick. Um, a lot of times in college, guys see Marvin Bagley and kick it out. Um, so it's, in the NBA, you're going to get challenged night in and night out, um, especially as a rookie. Um, I really like what Bagley is doing. I think he's going to have a solid NBA career. But, man, would have – Doncic would have been so much fun on this team. <laughs> Doncic next to De'Aaron Fox would be something. Oh, man. The, the playmaking and shooting of uh, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bondanovic, and Luka Doncic. Um, and then you throw in the athleticism of their bigs, and it's deadly. Yeah. I mean, oh, it would have been, it would have been a lot of fun. But uh, I think even Phoenix could be saying the same thing. <laughs> Phoenix is another story that we'll get into later. Um, they, they're interesting, but 
that's another story. Um, yeah, I mean, Sacramento's got a lot of fun guys. They're ten and ten right now. Um, can they sustain playoff a playoff push? It's gonna be tough because the West is legitimately fourteen teams deep, which is something I haven't seen in my lifetime. Um, and it's a legit fourteen, I would say. Um, Dallas is the one team that I think could possibly fall off, but I mean, they really have, they have that guy, Luca. Um, but I think they might fall off. Sacramento, I think, is going to sustain it a little bit. Um, I can see them ending around 500, um, but ultimately missing the playoffs just because of the depth of the, the conference. Um, but next year, watch out. Um, I think. They, I believe they lose their pick depending on which way, how they finish. Um, but the development development of De'Aaron and a buddy back backcourt with Bogdan, um, I think is good, is, is a very, very good core. If they can just stay out of their own way, they should be in good shape. But we know it's the Kings, and that's we just don't know if that happened yet. Yeah, I mean, the reports a few weeks ago of them. Thinking about firing Dave Yeager um, because they're not playing Marvin Bagley enough was interesting to say the least. It's especially the way they were playing. Um, I think Bagley's playing 22 minutes a game, um, which I think is more than enough for him. Um, good development time. Um, and he's still getting like fifth or 14 or something like that in seven a night. So, like, he's still producing. Yeah, and I think it's important to bring him slow because he's a very confident – like, he plays off of his confidence and he can lose his confidence very quickly. Yep. Um, So you can lose your confidence very quickly in the NBA. Um, You play three games and five nights, you have three bad games, all of a sudden you're head down and you're in a month-long slump. So um, being very – careful with his minutes and and who he's playing against um, because he's very left-handed dominant. Teams can stop that pretty quick. If he's not being active and having a high motor, um, he can be pretty ineffective out there. Uh, Yeah. Any more, anything more you want to add on the Kings? I mean, Bagley's a pretty good rapper too, but other than that, um, (laughs) in the, in the West, I just wanted to hit on the fact that if the playoffs ended right now, you, you said the West is 14 deep, which easily is the case. If the playoffs end, if the playoffs started today, the Spurs, Mavericks, Timberwolves, Pelicans, Rockets, Jazz, and then Suns would not make the playoffs. Every the, first of all, Houston was number one seed in the in the whole NBA last year, and they're nine and ten right now, and. They are four and seven in the Western Conference. So if that doesn't tell you how good the West is, I'm not really sure what else will. Yeah, um, it, it's going to be a really fun season um, in the West. I think teams, my picks for teams that fall off, um, Minnesota, they're playing well after Jimmy Butler left. Um, yeah, but did you see Aaron Wiggins the other night go zero for twelve and have only one assist and one rebound in twenty something minutes? Aaron, you're talking about Aaron or Andrew? Andrew, my bad. <laughs> Hopefully, be- if Aaron Wiggins does that tomorrow or Wednesday when Maryland plays Virginia, we're going to have serious issues. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I did see that. 
Um, I think Wiggins is one of maybe two or three players that could play that much, that many minutes and get <laughs> have one stat. Um, <laughs> At least he got one. Andrew's a very frustrating player. Um, I think he has the potential of the world, um, but just I don't know what it is. Just doesn't play to it. Um, yeah, I, I think Minnesota falls off despite how well they're playing since Jimmy Butler has left. Um, Robert Covington, one of the best two-way players in the league, um, one of the most underrated guys. Um, and Sarge out there playing well for them, but I don't think they can keep it up. I think they missed the playoffs. Jazz have a lot of problems. Um, Seriously. People are very quick to jump on their bandwagon. Um, after their performance last year. Uh, but offensively, they've been struggling to get shots. Um, I don't think they're using Joe Ingles enough as a playmaker, especially when he catches it off a curl screen and can get the ball going downhill. I think he's an, um, a very, very good playmaker there. I think they're relying too much on Donovan Mitchell, um, who's having – a sophomore slump. Um, that's really all it is. Um, he'll bounce back from it. He'll still be a great player. Um, but too much is going on his shoulders, and they're not using enough. And then defensively, they just haven't been there. Um, they're pretty, pretty average team defensively. Um, so one of the two has to change, if not both. But I wouldn't be surprised if they missed. Um. And New Orleans has been disappointing without Alfred Payton, which has been strange. Um, I didn't think he impacted the floor that much, but um, having someone get the ball to Drew and get the ball to Anthony Davis, I think, and Nico is is more important than I guess I had originally thought. Um, so who do you think misses out on the playoffs? Yeah, I'm I'm with you with those those teams you mentioned. Um, I I did not I I personally was on the bandwagon for Utah. I thought they'd not. I don't think they'd be as good as they were last year, but I thought they'd still be in the playoff picture. Um, I don't think Sacramento's going to make it, unfortunately, as much as I'd like them to. But I think really the Clippers the Clippers are really impressive to me. I think they're going to keep this up just because they play so hard every night. Like kind of the opposite of the Hawks. Like they just have a bunch of dudes that play really hard and that's why they're thirteen and six right now. Um I mean the West is loaded. Like you can't say it enough. There's gonna be a team that misses the playoffs that is just mind blowing. Um I still think the Spurs are gonna get in there. I still think the Rockets will find their way in there. Uh I, I really think it's gonna end up being more of the same, but I just think it's gonna be such a competitive Western conference. Yeah, and one last thing to touch on um, with the West is the um, the Lakers are playing better. Um, yeah, some, somebody that's known as the best player of all time is finally engaged. Yeah, he's been very disappointing this year as far as effort goes. I mean, he certainly has the right to take plays off, but <laughs> um, there's been plays where he just stuck his leg out to defend, and it's, it's embarrassing um, sometimes. Um, especially when you're playing with a lot of young guys, that's very impressionable young guys like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo. Um, they, they tend, they're followers rather than leaders. Um, 
at least as of now. Um, so, and Kuzma. So, I think that needs to change. Um, they're obviously playing a lot better. Um, but if they don't make a move, uh, I don't think um, they're going to make it higher than a seven seed. I heard, I'll give credit to Bill Simmons because I heard him say it, but it felt, he said it felt like LeBron. LeBron and the Lakers kind of clashed as, like, LeBron has this brand, which is just massive. Like, everyone knows LeBron James. And the Lakers have this brand that's, like, a historical great franchise that everybody thinks of. And just, like, immediately you think of success with, like, Kobe, Shaq, Magic, Kareem, all those guys, Jerry West. And, like, those two brands just met each other, and they clashed, and they didn't, like, understand how to mesh together. And then... Now LeBron like kind of figured it out. Lakers fans kind of figured it out like, okay, this is LeBron. Like we're gonna accept him. We're gonna hope that he plays to his capability. And LeBron's like, yeah, I played bad. Now look at me. I'm putting up forty and we're winning games. Like it's nothing. So it it was it was like a a marriage kind of that they had to come together and figure it out. And I think as this is LeBron last year, LeBron's team was obviously horrible. As you can now see, the Cavs are the worst team in the East. And, like, he's joining this young team with a whole bunch of unproven guys, and he's trying to make them figure out how to get to the playoffs. And I think it's a lot harder than people. Like, people just think it's LeBron, so he's just instantly like, yep, that team's going to be awesome. But that just is such a credit to LeBron for how good he is because it is so much harder than we all make it seem. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I don't think their recent play means that the Lakers are fixed. Uh, I think it's a great no, yeah, for sure. Clash, um, but they're a team made up of non-shooters, and anytime LeBron is surrounded by non-shooters, he, he un- their team underperforms. Um, so I think Tyson Chandler was an awesome, awesome pickup because Javel can disappear. Um, I mean, he, Even though he was close to their second best player for for a serious stretch early on, yeah, I mean he could disappear from the arena sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that that's a, that's a great pickup, another veteran voice there. Um, but they really need to bring in shooting. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they traded for Corver, um, got him back with LeBron. Um, LeBron really liked playing with him. Um, but they they're desperate need of shooting. Um, if they want to have any playoff success, um, but as this as this um, team is assembled right now, that's a that's a first round exit for me, um, which we haven't seen from LeBron in a long, long time. Seriously. Um, but yeah, that that wraps up the NBA um, and college. We're gonna take a quick break right here. Um, give you a few um, tips on betting for tomorrow. Um, and call it a night. All right, so we're going to do this best bets kind of segment each week since obviously gambling is kind of legal now and it's pretty pretty popular. You can't really talk about sports without talking about betting in some way, shape, or form. Um, so since we're, we're an, a basketball-focused uh, podcast, we're going to talk about or we're going to pick one college basketball game and one NBA game each week that we – we think is has the best chance of winning. Um, so we can kick it off with college basketball this week. Um, me personally, I'm going to pick an ACC Big Ten Challenge game just because I'll be locked into those games this week. And I'm going to go with uh, Virginia Tech over Penn State. 
talked about it a little bit during the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Um, I hate picking road teams just because I think it's very tough to go on the road. But this is a game, the spread is only one and a half points. And I just think Virginia Tech is, is significantly better than Penn State. Um, so I'm all in on Virginia Tech and, and Buzz Williams. And uh, he'll take us to the promised land so you can lock that one in. And uh, Michael can give his pick now. Yeah, so I'm kind of stuck between two games. Um, my original thought was Nevada is going to cover the five and a half against Loyola Chicago, the Final Four team, um, who has two losses at this point. Um, Nevada's a really good offensive team. Um, they got the Martin brothers and Jordan Caroline really headline um, their offense. I think Jordan Caroline is one of my favorite players in the country. Um, just an absolute beast. Um, I really like Nevada this year. They're six and zero, ranked number five. Um, I think that continues, um, and, and they win by at least six points. That's a rematch of the Sweet Sixteen last year, I think, right? That was. That is. Yeah, that's a big revenge game. Um, so, um, I really, I really think Nevada comes out strong. I don't think it's quite Michigan for its Villanova revenge. Um, <laughs> But I do think they get to, to double-digit win. Um, Loyola, um, Loyola, Chicago, I mean, they're a good team, um, just smaller. I think Jordan Caroline just dominates. Um, so, yeah, that's my pick. And then for the NBA, um, we're looking at tomorrow. Um, the game I like here um, is Detroit at home against the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks play hard. They play. They've been playing well. They're seven and fourteen. Um, but that every one of those games, um, they've they've been in for the most part and they've played hard. Um, I just think Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, front court against Ennis Cantor, uh, Noah Vonleh, Mitchell Robinson, um, is just going to be too much for them. Um, Frank Tilakina, um Zach can attest to this. He's one of my favorites coming out. Yep. Um, absolute menace on defense. Uh, if you see him and you have the ball, I would suggest passing it. Um, he's going to be great for them, um, but he really doesn't have anyone to guard. Um, Detroit doesn't have that dominant of a backcourt. Uh, I mean, I guess you guard Reggie Jackson, um, but I still think he, they put him in so many pick and rolls that he can have the impact. Um, so I, I like I like Detroit uh, minus seven at home. And, and I'm going to go, even though I just hyped up LeBron real hard, I'm going with the Nuggets, which somehow Michael and I were just talking about the fact that we didn't talk about the Nuggets, who are easily one of the three best teams in the West right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that shows you how deep the conference is. But Nuggets favored by four at home. Lakers are coming off a loss to the Magic, which is their, I want to say, second time losing to them in like the last week, which is just unreal to me. Um, we'll get into the Magic pretty soon here, but I like the Nuggets. Uh, they're they're pretty solid basketball team. They got really good backcourt. Uh, hopefully Gary Harris is healthy for the game. If not, that might not be the best pick in the world, but uh, yeah, we're going to go with the Nuggets. Yeah, I think why the Nuggets are so good this year is actually surprising is how good they've been defensively. Um, there's no denying how good Jokic is offensively. Um, one of the best um, skilled centers in the game. Top, I would say a top 10, top 12 player. Um, but 
how good they've been defensively despite his struggles there um, has been outstanding. Um, so I, I like that pick as well. And they got a heck of a home court advantage. Uh, I'll tell you. I can tell you from experience. Um, it's a great, great home court. Um, but, yeah, now we're going to jump in just the last segment here. I know it's been been with us for a while here. Um, but Zach's going to come touch on a little scientific study um, revolving around rivalry. All right, so each week we're just going to throw at you like a just a quick scientific study breakdown of something involving sports, sports psychology, that type of thing. Just because we kind of feel like it's not really covered that much and it's, it has a lot to do with sports, it can really benefit athletes, and I think it's just interesting. Um, so the first one we're going to talk about is rivalry. Uh, rivalry is thrown around a lot nowadays. I'm sure if you think of your favorite team, probably the second team you think of is your team's rival. Um, so, so when we talk about rivalry, there's three factors that go into rivalry. They have to be similar, so the teams have to be similar, the athletes have to be similar if it's a personal, individual rivalry. Second one is that they have to have repeated competition, so they just have to play frequently. Um, that's obviously common with rivals. If you don't play rival very much, you're probably not rivals. And then the last one is evenly matched contests. So for all you fans that think you have a team that's rivals with some other team, but you lose every single time you play them, sorry, but you're not rivals. Um, so, so those are the three factors that really go into rivalry. But what's interesting about rivalry is that a lot of people think it's just like head-to-head competition. So if uh, so, I'm a Duke fan. I think of Duke's rivalry as North Carolina. So you think of those two rivals just playing each other, and there's your rivalry. But really, rivalry goes way beyond that. Um, and science and, and studies have proven that ri- the success of your rival, so say Duke, or so let's take North Carolina since they just recently won the national championship. North Carolina winning the national title motivates Duke for seasons to come. So it has like a future a future benefit for each team. Um, and just to show you some evidence of that, if we look at NCAA basketball champions, uh, we're going to go to the year 1990. And UNLV won in 1990. They beat Duke. And at, in the early 90s, Duke and UNLV had a big rivalry because they were some of the best teams. Um, so they, they just really – they played like every year. They always had competitive games, a lot of talent on the court. So UNLV wins in 1990. Duke wins in 1991 and in 1992. So you can see how that six, that rival success of UNLV winning helped Duke win the next two years. The very next year in 1993, North Carolina won. So that Duke is North Carolina's rival. North Carolina wins the year after. Then we go up to 2001. Duke wins the national championship again. Maryland, who also thinks of Duke as a rival, wins the national championship in 2002. Uh, then we have North Carolina winning it in 2005. So, again, close there with uh, stretches of rivals winning titles. We go to 2009, North Carolina wins the national championship. 2010, Duke wins the national championship. We go to 2015, Duke wins the national championship. 2016, North Carolina goes to the national championship. 2017, North Carolina wins the national championship. So, that's just one sport, but you can see evidence of if your rival is successful – the next year, your your team should be successful. So unfortunately, when we think about basketball this year, Villanova won the championship last year. I can't really think of like a, a rival that has a chance to win the title this year. Um, I mean, you could think of like the Philadelphia six schools of like Temple and stuff like that, but I don't really see – I wouldn't put your money on Temple to win the title. 
Um, but that's just one interesting study that we have that that shows, at least me personally, I don't think of a team winning one year and that affecting another team that's a rival for multiple years to come. Yeah, and to add to that, I think um, it doesn't necessarily have to lead to a national championship. I think with Villanova winning the national championship, that increased the competition of the Big East this year. Um, the Big East is wide open right now. Some say it's a down year, but I think it's just become more competitive. Um, Georgetown is playing a lot better. Um, you have St. John's, who looks like the um, front runner to win it. Um, DePaul is playing really well. Um, so I, I think it just increases the competition in rivals. So the Big East goes back to Patrick Ewing days um, where there was intense rivalries there. So I think that has been been instilled in the Big East because Villanova's won. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that just increases competition with rivalries. Uh, but great study there. Yeah, no, and one other real quick thing about it is the worst thing that could happen is your rival team makes it to the final and then loses because you take so much, like, excitement and pride in the fact that that team just lost in the finals that you're just not motivated. But, like, if we look at the last few years – North Carolina lost in the finals. Duke had no business anywhere near the Final Four the next couple of years, and North Carolina won it the next year. So maybe Duke wasn't too motivated because they're excited North Carolina lost, but North Carolina responded with the victory. So got a lot to think about there, but that's just one that we're going to look at, and the next couple of weeks we'll look at more. Uh, if you have anything that you're interested in looking at, let us know. But other than that, thanks for listening, and uh, come on back next week. Yeah, see you next week. Sorry if I'm blunt, but your boy kind of fake. Just need a chick to throw it back when I'm lazy. Love it or hate it, doing my two steps. Looking fresh from the shoes to the crew. Man, it ain't even two yet. Make a run before we run out. Party all night till the sun's out. Hack weed over with basics. Got the cups lined up in the basement. Party hard till the cops show up. Get out on the floor. All